Welcome to Brain Talk, a podcast about the latest thinking and research in neurology with a specific focus on epilepsy and other seizure-like disorders. The audio used in today's episode comes from an authorized recording of Stratus's live physician webinar featuring Dr. Trudy Pang and Dr. Richard Verrier in their presentation on the epileptic heart. This podcast does not include any of the visual elements that were presented and referred to throughout the webinar. To view the full video recording, you can visit our website at www.stratusneuro.com. Let's take a listen as Dr. Pang and Dr. Verrier discuss the clinical management of the epileptic heart. Um, thank you, Dr. Verrier, for that comprehensive review and um, introduction to the pathophysiology. Um, we also asked the question, uh, if repeated seizures can have such deleterious effects, is it possible for us to actually detect a difference in people who have had seizures for a long time and who are refractory versus those who just had a couple of seizures and was recently given a diagnosis or newly given a diagnose, uh, so diagnosis of epilepsy? So we decided to recruit patients and look at them prospectively, and um, we monitored them using the typical device that Dr. Verry just showed us, the Holter, which is a gold standard, as well as the newer patches to be able to see if we can um, detect the very small changes in the T-wave morphologies using the newer technology, which are easier to use and can be used for longer-term monitoring in the outpatient world. And lo and behold, um, there clearly is a difference um, in the right-hand side, we see in the red bar, these are patients who have had epilepsy for a long time and who continue to have seizures. We measured both their baseline and their maximum alternance levels. The red bar shows us that in chronic epilepsy patients, indeed, in between seizures, we are seeing much greater alternance levels, and those elevations are well above what we would consider normal and even into the range where they are associated with a two to three-fold uh, increase in sudden cardiac death. And in patients um, who are newly diagnosed, which are shown in the blue bars here, um, even at the maximum levels, they're still well within the normal range that one would expect for the general population. Um, thus, confirming our suspicion that this is indeed um, a, a condition that accumulates over time, uh, as Dr. Verrier showed, that there are structural and conduction issues over time that we can actually detect uh, using long-term monitoring in the uh, ambulatory world. And this is a particular patient in whom we did not suspect to have any cardiac issues. We were su quite surprised by these findings. Um, she had uh, the patch recording, and this was in between seizures. We see in the, uh, on the right-hand side that we happened to catch uh, a, a run, a short run of ventricular tachycardia, about five beats, on the fourth day of her recording. And immediately before her recording, we see that the alternance levels are quite low, and suddenly there is a a surge in the alternance level. And we this really confirms that tight relationship between a sudden increase in alternance level and the, the um, 
initiation of a uh, ventricular arrhythmia. And this finding was surprising to us. We told the patient about it to uh, pursue further cardiac um, evaluation. And so this also highlights the importance of um, indication of suspicion of potential cardiac issues in whom uh, we consider to be a higher risk group. And this woman happened to be in her late 50s, um, exactly in the age group that's actually younger than one would expect for cardiac disease. Um, autonomic dysfunction has been uh, reco reported in, in many studies over the years as an independent uh, risk factor for SUDEP. And in addition, we know that patients with chronic epilepsy do show evidence of autonomic dysfunction, typically expressed as a um, heart rate variability, a change in heart rate variability, or HRV. And in our study, we also looked at whether there's a relationship between HRV, which is indicator of uh, vagal function or vagal output. Um, and we can see that um, at baseline, vagal tone is relatively high, but when alternance levels start to increase and reach maximum, we see a concurrent decrease in vagal tone. And that's quite the opposite pattern that we would see in someone with alternance. Again, showing that alternance is likely driven or uh, potentiated by a change in one's autonomic balance, the balance between the vagal output and the sympathetic output. And uh, there is much to be studied along those lines. So next we ask the question, well, we know that interictally there seems to be a difference in alternance levels, which would give us in, an indication of one's particular risk. But what about acute seizures? When they happen, what actually happens to one's alternance level? And this uh, led us to our current work uh, in studying patients prospectively in the epilepsy monitoring unit, where patients are routinely admitted, having their medications decreased for the sole purpose of being able to record their seizures, characterize them, and in many cases, determine whether they could be a surgical candidate. So um, in, these, uh, in the current setup, we have patients who uh, undergo the typical continuous EEG monitoring. And in addition to that, although they have a cardiac telemetric uh, setup, but as you can see from Dr. Various showing that those are often fraught with artifact and often difficult to interpret, we have the additional cardiac patch monitoring, which are wireless and um, are able to pick up signals that sometimes are missed with the uh, traditional telemetric uh, setup. So uh, we asked the questions, are there any differences in uh, the alternance levels during different kinds of seizures, uh, in particular focal seizures compared to generalized tonic-clonic seizures, where we predict that the highest level of abnormality may be recorded in those situations. And as a control group, we wanted to see whether there's any difference in patients who have clearly psychogenic non-epileptic seizures. So this is just a, a diagram showing um, that with concurrent EEG monitoring, we have a wireless patch 
where we can synchronize the recordings between the EEG and the patch, which is tremendously helpful in allowing us to correlate those abnormalities. And so far we found actually uh, that in, uh, even on the first day of someone's admission to the hospital, we started to see divergence in alternance levels between patients who end up eventually having seizures during their hospital stay versus those who do not eventually have seizures, even though both groups are diagnosed with epilepsy in general. And we are surprised by this finding. We think that this perhaps leads to um, an indication that perhaps there's a difference in the underlying cardiac substrate. Uh, we know that 47 microvolts is clearly abnormal and anything above that incurs a higher risk. And so perhaps in the patients who readily have seizures, these are the patients who have a more abnormal cardiac substrate, which puts them potentially at higher risk. And those are the patients in whom seizures are more readily recorded. It could also reflect a difference in physiologic state. Perhaps these patients are um, set up such that you know, stresses uh, that could happen on the first day of admission, being in a hospital environment, having multiple staff come in to do the EEG setup, uh, reflects that a, a more abnormal uh, cardiac uh, electrical state, and this is manifested in alternance level. And this could also be potentially even a predictor of someone's epilepsy severity or how likely they are to have a seizure uh, during their hospital stay. Um, of the few patients that we've started to analyze, um, we are very fascinated by the findings that we see already. Um, these are divided into patients who have clearly seizures recorded and patients who have non-epileptic seizures recorded. We looked both at the black bars, which reflect alternance levels, and heart rate, reflecting the white bars. Um, clearly, in patients who have generalized convulsive seizures, both heart rate and alternance um, show the greatest levels of elevation. And when we reach a level above 60 microvolts, as, as Dr. Verrier um, indicated, those are considered severely abnormal and associated with a greater threefold increase in sudden cardiac death risk. Not surprisingly, in patients who have focal seizures, we similarly see an increase in heart rate and also an increase in alternance, but not quite so to the, um, to the levels that are typically associated with a generalized tonic-clonic seizure. We know from physiologic measures that focal seizures are also associated with an increase in sympathetic output. We often see an increase in blood pressure and heart rate, uh, although not necessarily to the same levels as one would see with a generalized tonic-clonic seizure. But again, in the convulsive uh, seizure, um, we are also seeing hypoxemia, which is likely playing a role in disclosing the um, alternance level as an indicator of uh, an abnormal cardiac substrate. It is very much noteworthy to see that in the patients with non-epileptic seizures, who um, may also often manifest significant motor symptoms and heart rate increases, but um, their alternance levels remain well within the normal range and uh, well up below 20, uh, which are considered 
typically normal ranges. So we see the dichotomy between these three different seizure types, um, which are uh, quite illustrative in helping us to also understand the mechanisms behind SUDEP as well as sudden cardiac death. Uh, we shift gears slightly to talk about how seizure treatments can affect one's particular risk. Um, actually, anti-seizure medications are not necessarily always benign. Um, there have been literature to uh, report that seizure medications can be a cause of cardiac arrhythmias, both in clinically in patients and also in in vitro uh, experiments. And the risk seems to be highest with agents that use um, that have sodium channel blocking activity, either used singly or in combination with other anti-seizure drugs. And in particular, if we uh, have patients who are taking multiple sodium channel blockers. And we might, in those patients, see that there might be a sinus node uh, dysfunction, AV nodal block in the second or third degree, a atrial fibrillation, as Dr. Verrier uh, discussed, related to atrial enlargement, ventricular tachyarrhythmias, as seen in the uh, earlier illustration of the, of the patient in the brim that um, have the seizure, but also um, just disintegrated into tachyarrhythmias. But sodium channel blockers can be associated with that particular risk independently outside of seizures. Um, bradycardias tend to be rare, and um, impaired contractility may also be something that we encounter. Um, in a study published by Bardine, they find that on a population basis that anti-seizure medications can be a risk factor for uh, increased risk for sudden cardiac death. Here we see that um, the odds ratio for uh, sudden death is elevated, um, most notably in the sodium channel blocking group compared to the non-sodium channel blockers. And even when adjusted for both heart failure and epilepsy, uh, both conditions we know are associated with increased risk for death um, that when patients are taking a sodium channel blocking agent, that that particular risk is much higher at 3.0 for heart failure and 2.8 for patients who are adjusted for epilepsy, indicating that there are um, independent function uh, or independent con contribution from the sodium channel blocker themselves. And uh, when we look at inconvulsants, we see that enzyme-inducing drugs can also be problematic, not just simply from their sodium channel blocking activity, but also on the fact that they're uh, metabolically inducing um, these drugs cause changes in someone's cardiovascular risk factors. There are cross-sectional uh, cross studies that show the cholesterol levels uh, may be altered in patients, in which case um, that the typically known as bad cholesterol, non-HDL cholesterol levels are elevated uh, in a cross-sectional study. And then there are switch studies where patients who are on traditional, uh, very old, um, earlier generation uh, enzyme inducers are then crossed over to non-inducers. We see that their cholesterol levels actually drop just from that change in drug combination. And inducers can also for those who are taking a statin or other lipid-lowering uh, drugs, inducers can reduce the effectiveness simply by the fact that they are enzyme inducers. And um, this is a study by Dr. Mincer 
um, who looked at the switch, the effects of the switch study. If we look at the level of total cholesterol in patients who were initially on the combination of carbamazepine and phenytoin, their cholesterol levels dropped fairly significantly when they were switched over to the non-inducers, uh, levetiracetam and lamotrigine. And the same pattern holds true for non-HDL cholesterol in general and triglycerides. Um, inducers can, as I mentioned, reduce the effectiveness of your statin, not surprisingly. Now, when we look at total cholesterol um, and compare patients who are on carbamazepine compared to those who are on lamotrigine and levetiracetam, we see higher cholesterol levels compared to those who are on non-inducers. And the same pattern holds true also for non-HDL cholesterol. In patients who are um, on lipid-lowering agents, typically the cholesterol levels are higher uh, in, carbon, in the carbamazepine group compared to the non-inducing and non-inducing drugs. So in conclusion, um, we see we, uh, we discussed that the epileptic heart is really an overall underrecognized entity, and it develops over time in patients who um, have chronic epilepsy and likely contributes to, uh, to a significant degree the overall increased mortality that we see and likely plays a greater role than SUDEP, um, bigger than what we have pre previously appreciated. And in Acute seizures, particularly generalized tonic-clonic seizures, um, an acute change is also seen in alternance levels with the greatest risk seen in uh, the convulsive seizures and followed by focal uh, seizures, signifying that in the acute situation that cardiac electrical instability is seen and which is uh, elevated to a level that's typically associated with a higher risk for uh, cardiac arrhythmias. And in the psychogenic non-epileptic seizure group, even if these patients experience an acute increase in heart rate, um, their alternate levels are not acutely affected um, as much as the focal and the generalized group. So chronic epilepsy um, causes uh, both ictal and interictal T-wave alternance increases uh, compared to patients with newly diagnosed uh, disease. And um, T-wave alternance thus can be an important biomarker that can help us to identify patients who might be at risk for uh, lethal arrhythmias. And Dr. Verrier showed us um, these results from the newer EKG patches, uh, which show us very clear signal, easy to use, and can be a very important tool in helping us to um, identify those uh, who might be at risk both in the inpatient and outpatient setting. And in addition to the um, longer term uh, patch monitors, uh, even a standard 12-week EKG can help us to disclose um, important findings such as uh, previously uh, unknown or silent MIs. And what does this all mean in terms of uh, us neurologists in the clinical setting when we're taking care of epilepsy patients? Well, in general, we have uh, typically separated the care of neurologic care versus cardiac care uh, because we don't do cardiac evaluation as a routine uh, 
part or an integrated part of someone's comprehensive epilepsy care. And here we, we uh, urge you that based on these findings to reconsider how we practice neurology and that cardiac monitoring is important in this very vulnerable group based on all the findings that we've presented here tonight. Uh, specifically that patients who have had epilepsy for years and who continue to have seizures at, are at particularly high risk and even higher in patients who continue to experience convulsive seizures. And as patients age uh, with a progression of both aging, which is a risk factor for cardiac disease, and also with the progression of uh, epilepsy over time, that uh, these, when combined with multiple other vascular risk factors, which are typically encountered in the population, such as hypertension, diabetes, higher cholesterol levels, that these patients should undergo a very basic set of cardiac uh, evaluations. A 12 EDKG is relatively um, accessible and easy to organize, and these can help us to disclose uh, cardiac conduction problems or arrhythmia issues that have not been previously recognized. And in patients who I just mentioned who are in the high-risk group, so patients who have convulsive seizures who are refractory and who may or may not also have additional vascular risk factors, these are the patients we need to uh, be extra careful for and be very vigilant in considering um, other uh, markers that we, can, uh, that we can utilize and incorporate into our care. Now, T-wave alternance has been uh, something that's readily available and we, in fact, can organize and, uh, and order this as a specific test in patients who we consider might, who might be at high risk. And if you don't feel comfortable or feel that the patient is in the highest risk category, then an echocardiogram or even a full cardiac evaluation or consultation um, in the cardiology uh, clinic would be indicated. So um, much work needs to be done to advance our understanding and appreciation of the epileptic heart condition. Specifically, we hope to um, advance our work in understanding how the autonomic dysfunction, uh, both intraitally and during seizures, uh, can become an important and potent driver of these abnormalities that we see. And what is their actual role, uh, as Dr. Verrier in, uh, indicated, in the case of vagus nerve stimulation, how does that um, offer us insight into further understanding and ultimately into um, interventional strategies? And we looked at the, in addition, the role of seizure medications um, in both in their risk of arrhythmogenic uh, risk and also their metabolic risk. And choosing a treatment regimen that are specifically tailored for patients to minimize their cardiac risk while taking uh, into account their epilepsy care would be of utmost importance for neurologists who um, feel comfortable in managing their anti-epileptic drugs. And uh, as Dr. Mincer mentioned uh, in his talk at the uh, most recent um, AES uh, meeting that um, if, if it's not the neurologist who's gonna be very considerate of these medications and feel comfortable changing medicines when they are not necessarily the best choices, then nobody's out. nobody else out there will feel comfortable enough to do that. And ultimately what we hope to do 
is to uh, develop interventional strategies that can modulate um, the risk for sudden cardiac death and using alternance as a biomarker um, in that important process will be very important with the ultimate goal of uh, improving overall clinical outcomes and reducing mortality over time. So we thank you very much. And I, I'd also like to thank Dr. Verrier and Stratus for giving us this opportunity to discuss. This podcast was brought to you by Stratus the leading provider of ambulatory in-home video EEG testing. For more information about Stratus, please visit our website at www.stratusneuro.com.